chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. And uh, we read verses uh, 14 and 15. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And now that's Naomi said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Now, the book of Ruth, as we know, is really a love story. And it's, uh, although there's a lot of sorrow and tragedy actually within the story, it's also a, a real love story. It's a story that shows us tremendous love that Naomi has for her daughters-in-law and uh, the love the daughters-in-law have for their mother-in-law. The love that Boaz has for Ruth but above all, God's love for his people. A love that never, ever lets go. And uh, while Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth, is really the, the focus of the story, uh, and rightly so, I want us today to think uh, more of the other daughter-in-law, who gets really very little mention, but there's quite a bit to learn from her life as well. Now, as we know, this uh, incident took place at the time of the judges, and that was quite a bleak time in the history of Israel. It was the time when uh, it was a generation after Joshua and the elders had come out uh, from, uh, remember how the children of Israel had been taken from Egypt, they had gone into the promised land, Joshua led them throughout their time of conquering the land, and uh, so everything was settled down. And as long as Joshua was there, and as long as the people who had actually come out through the wilderness, that generation, the younger generation that had come into the land of promise, as long as they were living, then everything was all right. But it didn't take long to change, because the whole society began to go on a downward spiral. And... Uh, the book of Judges is actually really sad re reading, but it's so reflective of human nature. Because there was this cycle where very quickly they would forget God. And they would begin to develop the practices of the people round about them. And they would turn into idolatry. And God would say, no, no, listen, you are my people. You are my special people. It is through you that I am going to bless the whole world. It is through you that my son, the Savior, is going to come. You cannot live like that. And so God would allow some form of judgment and chastisement to come upon them. Sometimes it would be invading armies like the Midianites or the Philistines. Other times he would allow famine to, to take hold of them. Always with the intention of bringing them back to himself. That's what God was doing. It wasn't random. There was a purpose. He was getting their ear, their attention, until they began to cry to him. And once they would begin to cry to him, uh, he would hear their cry, and he would send a deliverer. There were deliverers like Gideon and Jephthah and Samson. Some of you read about them. 
And there would be a time of stability. And again the worship of the Lord would be restored. But it wouldn't take long until it would spiral back. Go the same way. And it's quite incredible uh, how these things happen. And even in our own society, when you look back, and I think even in my own lifetime, I could never envisage our nation being where it is just now, uh, spiritually and morally, where there is just almost like a sustained effort to remove and to undermine the Christian faith. And what people don't realize is if you take the gospel out of society if you try and remove God from the throne of a particular society you are reaping fearful consequences for yourself history has shown that over and over and over again the history of the children of Israel showed it and our own history has shown it and so we are, we are moving into a very serious condition because that seems to be the whole thrust the movement of society today is moving more and more into a godless and into a secular society where God has no place. And that is as bad a judgment as we can get. I can't think of much worse judgment than if God says, right, I wipe my hands off you, I hand you over to yourselves. That would be a fearful situation. So we have to plead that the Lord won't do that. So the, the Lord, it was in his mercy that he would be sending uh, sometimes invading forces into Israel to try and get them back to himself. And he always did. Now, when God is dealing with us in this way, it is vital that we submit to him. There are usually two things that we are liable to do. One is to try and run away and escape God. And the other is to fight against God. When God is at work in our heart, trying to bring us back if we wandered away we are liable to do one of two things or maybe a combination of both to fight against God or else to run away from it well that's exactly what this family tried to do because there was a famine in the land there was a famine there in Bethlehem and from a human point of view what Elimelech decided to do you would say well nothing wrong with that because there's a famine there the fields in Moab they're fine they don't have a famine in Moab so logic says I'm going to leave Israel and I'm going to head to Moab and maybe as Elimelech might have shared his plans with some of his neighbours and he might have said oh good on you Elimelech if I had the chance to do that I would do the very same thing you're doing a good thing good for the boys good for the family take them where there's food but what Elimelech was doing was wrong because God had said there were two nations that Israel were not to seek the peace or prosperity of. Because there were two nations that had brought so much trouble upon Israel. One was the Ammonites and the other was Moab. So Israel were warned, don't have truck with Moab. Don't go to Moab. Don't be involved with Moab. So Elimelech, it's fair to say, is making this decision without consulting the Lord. Because if he had consulted the Lord, the Lord is saying, don't go to Moab. But Elimelech is going to Moab because there's bread there. So his decision that he's making is purely a human decision. And I'm sure to begin with, when they went there, they thought as everything was going, well, they would have said, I'm sure many a time, Elimelech said to Naomi, oh, you know this, we made a good decision coming here. 
But as we read the narrative, tragedy strikes and Elimelech dies. And there were the two boys, Malan and Chilean, they grew up and they married uh, two girls from Moab, Ruth and Orpah. But then tragedy struck again because both the boys died. And here is Naomi all of a sudden in a strange land and she's lost her husband and her two sons. And she was feeling there straight away that her whole world had caved in. And uh, we find, of course, that uh, for for Ruth and Orpah and Naomi here, that they're plunged into this awful situation. And particularly for Naomi, she's in a strange land. And right away, all she could be thinking about is, I want to go home. You and I know when, when things go wrong, if we're ill, or if real difficulties come into our lives, something, oh, something really sore or painful or difficult, we want to go home. We want to be with family. We want to be with those that we feel comfortable with. Don't like being in a strange place. And there's no doubt straight away the first thought Naomi would have would be, I want to go home. But then side by side with that, she heard in the fields of Moab, in verse 6, that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. In other words, the famine was over. One of the translations is that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. And in giving them bread in Bethlehem, we can never think of that, because without thinking of Jesus Christ. Because that's exactly what happened 2,000 years ago. That God visited this world by giving his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who Jesus himself declared, I am the bread of life. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And uh, of course we know that there is no other, nothing else will satisfy the deepest needs of our life but Jesus. And if you're here today and you've gone through life so far, and you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me assure you, you are missing out. Because this world will satisfy you at one level, but it cannot satisfy you spiritually. There's nothing in this world that will satisfy you spiritually. The world is not made to satisfy you spiritually. It might satisfy you at certain levels. Might satisfy. There might be many things in this world and you're saying, you know, boy, it's pretty good this. Change the circumstances. Change what's happening in your world and all of a sudden the enjoyment goes. And so many people have said, they've, they've reached stages where they said, they just discover one disappointment after another. But you know, in Jesus Christ, you have the one portion that you need for your soul. Life and nourishment and vitality, everything you need is found in Jesus Christ. He is the bread from heaven. I am the true bread, Jesus was saying uh, to his people. So Naomi hears this wonderful news that the Lord has visited his people in giving bread. And Naomi says, I'm going back. Now, obviously she would find it difficult telling the girls, her daughters-in-law, that she's going back because you can see that they have formed a really deep bond. 
And although these are Moabitess girls who obviously were heathen, they were, from a natural point of view, they are obviously lovely. They were lovely women. Because Naomi, you could see, couldn't speak highly enough of them. Because they were so good to Naomi, and they had been so good to Naomi's children, to the two boys. But the thing is that Naomi feels really, really responsible for them. And she's saying to them, look, it's because of me all of this bitterness has come into your life. And she felt that God's hand had gone out against her. And that these poor innocent girls were suffering because of her. And so she says, look, I'm going back home. You go back. You've suffered enough with me. You go back to your ways, to your people, to your culture, to your gods. But they set out and they said, no, we're going with you. And so we find that they, they make their way. And that's what she's saying in verse 13. That, uh, that she was saying, Naomi says, My daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for, to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So she's trying to uh, make them go back. And the thing is, when you look at Naomi here, you can see that at one level she's a backslidden believer. Because the advice that she's giving, again, you see, all the advice she's giving is human advice. If she wanted the welfare, the spiritual welfare of these two women, she would have said, yeah, come back with me. I know it might be tough. Because when you come back to Israel, you won't have any rights. You won't have any protection. It could be really, really dangerous for you. So that's the way she's looking at it at a human level but she should have been looking at it spiritually and saying but God has come back God's favour, God's presence God is at work again in Bethlehem, you've got to come with me. that's what we, you would expect her to be saying as a believer you would say yeah come where God is, you come that's why you invite people to church because God's presence is promised to be there that's why you will give somebody a, a scripture to read and praying that that person will, will as they read the word, that the word will be blessed to them. But Naomi's not saying that. It's like Elimelech's decision earlier on. It wasn't a, a God-centered decision. It was a man-centered. And her decision here, sending the girls back, back to their gods, back to the, the way that you can see how she really is not, not thinking straight but of course she is overcome with grief and so we have this incredibly moving scene where the three women you can see them draped together their arms round one another and they're howling because they're broken hearted they love one another but then we find that something happens she says, then in verse 14, then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So it's very obvious at this point that Orpah has dropped her hands off Naomi and that she's taken a step back because Ruth is still clinging to Naomi. And so Naomi says, see your sister-in-law, she has gone back to her people and to 
to her gods. And you know that's one of the saddest things we can read. Because here's this, from all accounts, a lovely, lovely person, Orpah. If Naomi was asked to write a reference for Orpah, I reckon it would be as good a reference as you would ever see. She couldn't praise her highly enough for her kindness, for her care, for her compassion, for her love, for all these virtues and qualities. She looked at her more than as, more, uh, looked at her more likely as a daughter than as a daughter-in-law. And yet Orpah has gone back. You know, these are really sad words. Gone back. You see, Orpah had lived for a good number of years in the Israelite home. And they, what, however backslidden they may have been as a family, they still, as Israelites, would have had a form of worship with God, would have spoken about God, would have reflected upon the living and true God, and Ruth and Orpah would both have heard about the living and true God. And it shows us that Ruth had heard so much about God that she wanted to go. I want to go with God. That's what to, I want to go and be with the living and true God. That's why Ruth said to Naomi, No, I'm not going back. Your God's going to be my God. I have heard so much about the living and true God. And indeed I have begun to come to this living and true God. I'm going with you, Naomi. I'm going back to Bethlehem. I'm going to Bethlehem with you. But not Orpah. The pool of the old ways and her culture and her gods was so strong that she began to go back. And so it's a very, it's a very powerful and a, a very, very moving scene there. And you know, <clears throat> we don't understand just how, how dark a heart is. This is what somebody said. How much loveliness there is in the affections of, uh, of nature. And who would believe that sometimes that can cover over and hide a heart as black as hell? And that's something we don't understand. Because the human heart, deep down, underneath all the elements of common grace that are there within a person's life, all the good that God bestows upon us, and where there's a loveliness of nature and character, underneath a heart that is in rebellion against God is still as black as hell. And that is why the Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That there is nothing more twisted or deceitful anywhere than the human heart. But it can be, there can always be this covering over it where you, wouldn't, you would never ever know that that's what's really down there. And so here is Orpah who has tasted who has seen, who has experienced, and she has been so close, but she goes back. Orpah doesn't stand for those who have never heard the gospel. Orpah doesn't stand for those who have refused to come under the sound of the gospel. Orpah stands for those 
who have been under the gospel have known everything about God the Father have known everything about the Lord Jesus Christ have known the way of salvation would be able to tell others how to become a Christian they've known all these things and yet they go back they say no when the crunch comes they will not commit they will not yield they will not say Lord oh have mercy upon me and save me can come to church week in week out can appear to be so close and yet still so far because there's no halfway house with regard to salvation you're either in the kingdom or you're out of the kingdom there isn't somewhere where you can straddle the two and be half in and half out you're in or you're out and Orpah may have appeared when she set out with Ruth both these girls and you would say oh what lovely girls these are and you would see them they're, they're both intending to head to Bethlehem they both set out to go with Naomi but when they reach the borders there's a dividing the one shall be taken the other left we see it so often in the Bible the Jacobs the Esus the two on the cross beside Jesus one both had the exact same opportunity both are dying beside Christ both would be exactly the same distance from Jesus physically both heard Jesus speak and one accepted Jesus as the saviour and the other died rejecting him it's solemn and here we have this picture of two lovely ladies and both setting out to go where God has visited and God's favour and presence is and yet when push comes to shove one of them says no well I hope there's nobody in here today that's going to be like that going to be so close and so far away Hebrews 6 says it is impossible it's impossible uh, in the case of those who once have been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift and have tasted the word of God and the power that is to come and have fallen away to restore them to repentance that is people who have it's not that they've become Christians because you, once you become a believer you can never fall away even although you might, your life may go ski with and you might plunge into all the things that are wrong but if you're still in, in, in Christ you will always be in Christ but the dangerous place is to be nearly there to be so near and yet so far and that's what happened with Orpah she just as it were slipped off the pages of scripture never to be seen again please please do not have that happen to you may you instead be a Ruth who clung who would not let her mother-in-law go and she says I'm going back with you because your people God's people are going to be my people your God is going to be my God and I hope today that that's the decision that you're making and you're saying the living and true God is going to be my God. Please don't go away from under the presence of the word. 
under the open invitation. Heaven's door is in open and the invitation is coming again today saying, come on in. What are you going to do? Go back? Oh no, don't. Please. Reach out and take the hand that is outstretched to you. Let us pray. Oh Lord, our God, we, we pray to bless us. And we give thanks, Lord, for all your goodness and mercy to us. We give thanks, Lord, that there are so many encouragements in your word, but there's also so many warnings. We pray, Lord, for any in here today who may be very close to the kingdom, but they're not there yet. Oh, Lord, lead them in. We pray if there are those who are like the Orpas who are going back, Lord, turn them back round again so that they become like the prodigal, making their way back to you. Lord, we pray for all those who are going through difficult times, times of maybe issues within their mind or illnesses. We commit them to your care and keeping. We pray, Lord, to bless us all. We pray to bless the road to recovery work. We give thanks for Stan who's with us today and the work that he has done for so long. And and, uh, we give thanks for Davy as well. And we pray, Lord, when... uh, what is often a very difficult work and where they will see so often people going back. We pray, Lord, that you will encourage them in all that they've done and that you will continue to prosper that work. We pray, Lord, for those that we know who are struggling, struggling with all the different issues in life. We pray that we might be able and willing to help. But, O Lord, our God, we give thanks that the great and deep issues belong to you. And so we ask, Lord, today to reach out in your love and in your mercy and that you will touch hearts and that you will bring light and life into souls that right up till now have been dead, that they might come to see Jesus and embrace Jesus. Take away from us our sin in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. We conclude singing in Psalm 80, the 80th Psalm. We're going to sing the last Three verses. Psalm 80. Scottish Psalter. The tune is Evan. It's on page 334. O let thy hand be still upon the man of thy right hand, the son of man whom for thyself thou madest strong to stand. So henceforth we will not go back nor Turn from thee at all. O do thou quicken us, and we upon thy name will call. Turn us again, Lord God of hosts, and upon us vouchsafe to make thy countenance to shine, and so we shall be saved. Psalm 80, 17 to the end. O let thy hand be still upon. Tune us, heaven. O let thy hand be still
Now may the grace, mercy, and peace of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest and abide upon each one of you now and forevermore. Amen.